guys. I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. Today's bonus episode is brought to you by Audible, the world's leading provider of expertly performed audiobooks. Audible has over 180,000 audiobooks that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. If you like reading fiction, Audible has a book for you. If you like reading science, Audible has a book for you too. If you like reading poetry, politics, or anything at all, Audible has a book for you. If you sign up at audibletrial.com slash wordsforgranted, you'll get one month free, and not only that, but you'll be supporting the show. Everybody wins. You can find a link to the trial right in the show notes for today's episode. I hope you sign up today. In last week's episode, I discussed the origins of the idiomatic expression to beg the question. Basically, it's a clumsy word-for-word translation of the Latin phrase petito principi. If you listen to the episode, you may recall that I called beg the question a calc. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, you're probably wondering, what's a calc? And even if you did listen to it, you may not remember. So allow me to reiterate its meaning here. Generally speaking, a calc is a word or phrase that has been borrowed from one language into another by a literal translation or a root-for-root translation. Another term for calc is loan translation. Makes sense, right? In the Latin phrase petito principi, petito literally means to beg and principi approximately means question, or at least the medieval sense of the word question. So, to beg the question qualifies as a calc. Now, unless you're a diehard follower of linguistics, you probably haven't heard the word calc before, so I'd like to take a look at where this word comes from. The English word calc comes from a French word of the same name. When used as a noun, the French word calc means an imitation or close copy. Papier calque is the French term for tracing paper. When used as a verb, calcaire means to trace, copy, or imitate. Unfortunately, you guys are going to have to endure a bit of my terrible French pronunciation for this episode. Anyway, the connection between the literal sense of the French word calque and its application to linguistics in the English language is pretty clear. When a word is calced from one language into another, its literal meaning is imitated by, or copied, into the recipient language. Now, a calced word is not a loan word, and this is an important distinction for us to understand. A loan word is a word that is directly borrowed from one language into another without translation or modification. Over time, a loan word may adapt to the phonological and orthographical trends of the language that has inherited it, but these changes are often minor. For those of you who don't know, the word phonological refers to the way a word sounds, and the word orthographical refers to the way a word is written. English is packed with unmodified loan words, many of which we use every day. Piano and graffiti come straight from Italian. Karaoke and tsunami come from Japanese, shampoo and jungle come from Hindi, giraffe and algebra come from Arabic, bagel and schlep come from Yiddish, and the list goes on and on and on. 
The sound and meaning of these words are identical in both the donor language and the recipient language, which, in this case, is English. In case you haven't noticed, calc itself is a loan word. As already stated, it's borrowed from a French word of exactly the same pronunciation, spelling, and meaning. Now, by coincidence, the term loan word is a calc. It's a word-for-word translation of the German word lenwort. Okay, so now that we have the distinction between calcs and loan words sorted out, let's take a look at some words and phrases that have been calced into English and out of English. The English term flea market is widely believed to be a calc of the French term marché aux puces, literally market of the fleas. As a kid, I remember thinking that flea market was such a strange word. The flea market of my childhood was set up in the parking lot of the illustrious Giants Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, and to say the least, there wasn't a flea in sight. But if the widely purported sources are correct, the original marché à puce, which is to say the original flea market, can be traced back to a particular street market outside of Paris, whose used furniture was infested with small parasites akin to bedbugs. It's not clear how or why the less than reputable sounding term flea market caught on in English, but the Oxford English Dictionary attests its first usage in 1922. Marche a has been calced into many other languages as well, including Italian, Czech, Hungarian, Polish, Spanish, and Turkish, among others. I don't speak any of these foreign languages well enough to attempt to pronounce their versions of the Marche à puce calque, but it suffices to say that all of these languages have a word that is semantically equivalent to flea market or market of the fleas. Now, let's look at a word or two that have been calced out of English. Gratte-ciel, the French word for skyscraper, literally means scrape sky. French was the first language to calc the English word skyscraper, and dozens of languages from around the world, including Hindi, Arabic, Mandarin, and most European languages, followed in suit. There are some variations of the term. For instance, the Hindi word gaganchumbi means sky kisser, and the Tagalog word guseling tukadlangit means building poking the sky, but they all follow the basic English language model. Another word that has been calced from English into virtually every foreign language exposed to modern technology is computer mouse. This is something that I was going to mention back in the episode where I discuss why mice is the plural of mouse, but it fits much better into today's discussion. Since the computer mouse was named by an English-speaking American, coincidentally named Bill English, as the technology spread around the globe to other countries, Foreign languages simply began using their own native word for mouse as their word for computer mouse. Some languages use their native word for rat, but again, like the calc variations of skyscraper, the calc variations of computer mouse all follow the English language model. By now, it should be clear that once a word or phrase is calced from one language into another, that calc is often imitated by many other languages. Let's look at one more example of this viral sort of calc, this time from a Latin source. 
In most modern Germanic and Slavic languages, the word for translation is etymologically based on the construction of the Latin word translatio. Let me explain further. The Latin word translatio is a compound word made up of the roots trans, meaning across, and latus, a participle of the verb to bring or to carry. So, literally speaking, a translatio is something that has been brought across. And indeed, when words are translated, they are brought across the boundaries of one language into another. Taking their cue from this Latin construction, the modern Germanic and Slavic languages almost unanimously have combined their native words for bring and across to form their own word for translation. Providing I don't butcher their pronunciations, some examples from the Slavic languages are the Russian word perovod and the Polish word pszekwat, and some examples from the Germanic branches are the German word ubersetzung and the Swedish word uversatning. These examples are all constructed of roots that literally mean to bring across, to move across, to move to a new place, etc., I should note that these calc words for translation typically refer to textual translations, not necessarily verbal translations. It's a noteworthy distinction because it reflects Latin's importance as a written medium in Europe at large. It makes sense for these languages to have calc their word for translating texts from Latin because so many Latin texts were translated into these languages. Though the Romance languages semantically modeled their word for translation after the Latin construction as well, I wouldn't consider these full-blown calcs because the Romance languages derived directly from Latin. The tra in traduccion, traduzione, and traduccion, the Spanish, Italian, and French words for translation respectively, is cognate with the trans in the original translatio. Though English isn't a Romance language, it falls into the same category because the English word translation was adapted directly from French. Interestingly, the native Old English word that translation replaced was called awendan, and like translatio, it too had a directional implication. Awendan came from a root word that meant to turn, to direct, to change, or to go. It's cognate with the modern English word wend, as in to go in a specified direction, usually by an indirect route, and wind. This is evidence that if you go far enough back in linguistic time, even the most sophisticated and abstract of words can be traced back to roots that mean very basic things. Well, that's it for this one. It's a short one, but I hope you learned something new. And here I go again with my usual after-show spiel. Don't forget to follow Words for Granted on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, let them know about it. If you enjoy the show, please leave a positive review on iTunes. It's how new listeners find out about the show. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me directly at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can always do so via Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding service that allows independent creators to get their work out into the world. After we reach the first $100 mark, I'll be posting exclusive bonus content only available to contributors. 
Just head over to my website, wordsforgranted.com, to find out more. I'd like to say thanks to Kane for his recent contribution to the show. Okay, see you next time here at Words for Granted. 